0: Hi, my name is Amber, and thanks for watching today. Before we get started, we wanted to fill you in on our church. Here at Grace Community Church, we have a mission and purpose. Our goal is to point people towards Jesus. If you are looking for a church, we would love for you to be a part of what God is
1: doing here at Grace. There are a couple different ways for you to start getting connected to Grace.
0: You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, and more information about service times and smaller groups can be found at OhioGrace.com. We would also like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. The times are 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We have a great time gathering for music, hanging out, and learning about who God is and how that affects our lives. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next week here at Grace. but fool's gold. Well, I hope you're enjoying our service, and again, I know you've heard this before, but happy Father's Day. How many are fathers? All right, that's a good representation. Yeah, I appreciate all of you. Thanks for being with us, and I hope you maybe got a donut on the way in. I know I did, even though I didn't eat a donut, I got a donut. I want to give you an update on Tiffin. We've been talking about that for quite a while, and uh, i just tell you a little story. Two weeks ago, we had been looking, and, and I had been to, to Tiff, Tiffin countless times. We were looking at different properties and, and places to uh, lease, rent, and we were just having a hard time coming up with, with something. We went through the mall, looked at some places there, looked at J.C. Penney's, just different places, and we just weren't coming up with anything. So two weeks ago today, I ran into one of our board members, Tom Price, and I was telling him, boy, we are just, uh, this is a lot harder than we thought. We thought we would just kind of go into our warehouse space. And there's nothing like that available, especially on the side of town we want. And uh, I was talking to him about that, and I told him, this is what I said. I said, that we're reduced now that we're actually getting lists of property owners in the area that we want to be in Tiffin. And we're drafting letters that they will probably toss about after the first sentence asking them to sell us land. And, 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 but then here's what I said, I said, but the good thing about this, if anything happens from this point forward, we'll know that it's a total God thing because we've exhausted every possibility that we know of. Well, that weekend, that same weekend, I said that Pam and I were in Tiffin and we, we had gone to an open house and we were looking around the city as we had done many times before I had. And then she noticed this sign. She said, you know, that sign I think said that that a business had moved and so we turned around and went back and sure enough this business seemed to be vacated although it wasn't for sale or rent and then David Stacy and I went and checked it out a couple days later and then a couple days later we, at staff meeting I said, "Hey guys, jump I want to show you this property. It's not for sale or rent, but but it, it seems like it'd be great." And while we were there we ran into the property owners who said that they were only going to be there 5 minutes and they had not even they owned it, but they had not even seen the property yet. And we ran into them, and now it looks like this is a possibility. Uh, but we, we don't have a, a contract or anything yet, but we, we, we think we're on to something. So here's the deal. First of all, I just want to tell you that, to ask you to keep praying and that you know, God is using your prayers, and it seems like God is working in this situation. We're really excited. Two weeks from today is July 1st. That's the same Sunday that we're honoring law enforcement in our area, and there's a concert at Clyde later that day with our people in it. But that day, also, we are going to produce a brochure that will have a picture of this property, uh, assuming that everything continues to progress. It'll give you our rationale. It'll give you the price of this property, why we're doing it, um, how it could be done. And then it will also give you an opportunity to vote, if you're a member of Grace, on whether to move forward or not. And so we just... I'm asked a couple things. Ask you to keep praying about that, because it's not a done deal yet, but also... Uh, for all of those who have been praying, I want to say thanks. And then to those people, those of us who have been giving beyond what, I, what we normally give to church to, to do this growing with grace thing that makes this all possible, I just want to say thanks. Uh, thanks for your faithfulness because you're, you know, God is opening these doors and you're allowing us to walk through these doors. Thank you very much. So how many of you, everybody's on the same page, right? You're going to keep praying this through, Right. Okay, I'm going to need a little bit more participation than that. All right, because this thing's not done yet. This could all go south. I want to hear from you. David, wouldn't you like to hear a little more? Yeah, David's with me on this. Uh, just a little more enthusiasm. So you're going to keep praying about this, right? Yes. That's what I'm looking for. And don't lie. Okay, all right. We're, we're great. I, I. It's summertime. We're, we're in this series, Ecclesiastes. Things are heating up. Um, and... Uh, I just want to let you know, Pam and I are getting ready to take a vacation, and we're driving out to to Colorado. Sometimes we fly out, but we actually enjoy driving out. And while we're out there, we're I, we're going to be in the mountains a little bit. And there's a couple things that I want to do. One is my brother is looking at investing, uh, buying a mining claim. In the national forest, it's not as lucrative as you might think just a couple thousand dollars, but buying a mining claim, so that's not always accessible. So one of the things he wants to do while I'm out there is go up and see how accessible this claim is to know if he wants to buy it or not. And then since we were talking about all that, I thought, hey, I would do a little uh, gold panning. Have Anybody ever pan for gold? You know, okay, a few. But uh, So I thought I'd you know, do a little bit of that, and then I'll probably pick up that whole forest fin treasure thing while I'm there too. You know? So anyway, you have got some things going, but if you're going to pan for gold, one thing that you need to know is the difference between gold and Fool. fool's gold. That's right, and so I think I know that. I've seen a lot of fool's gold. I haven't seen any gold, so we'll see what happens there. But, but this is what Solomon is saying. He's saying, hey, if we're looking for happiness in anything in life apart from God, it's just fool's gold. We think that's the real thing. We think we're going to get that happiness, meaning, purpose, but we'll end up with just fool's gold. And, And he's telling us this because he's at the end of his life, and he's saying, don't wait till the end of your life to figure this out, let me figure this out for you and communicate this to you. And that's exactly what he's telling us in this series, Solomon, that we've called fools goat. He's the wisest man who lived up to that point, maybe the second wisest person who's ever lived, except for Jesus, you know, number number one besides Jesus. And he's just letting us know this. And, and by the way, who was in the who was here last Sunday and heard Tim speak on Ecclesiastes? Were you here last Sunday? Okay, you guys were did you catch the stuffed animal story that he told? Okay, he starts telling, if you weren't here, he starts telling this story that they've been living in this place. They're living, I don't know, 10 years or something. And since they've been living there, or for the last 10 or whatever years, about every six months, there is a stuffed They live out in the country with kind of nobody around them. They have neighbors on one side. but Out in, the country, out in their backyard, about every six months, there's a stuffed animal there. And they don't know where it comes from or how it gets there. Nobody's pulling onto their property and and that's all fenced in. And uh, he's telling this story and I'm thinking, this is like the first five minutes of a horror film. You know, it's like something bad is going to happen. It's just, you know, something's up. He better watch out. And if Becky's in here, Becky, don't worry, everything will be fine. But I mean, it's just, you know, it's a little, I'm saying, what? Somebody's coming onto your property, planting stuffed animals every six months for the last 10 years, that's weird. You know, so maybe he'll tell us more about that. I, I don't know. But, and in this Ecclesiastes, he, Solomon keeps using these phrases over and over a bunch of times. He talks about life under the sun. And life under the sun, just a reminder, that is life without God is what he means for that. Life as if life is all there is. Life that's lived, like many people in our culture live today, Life as an atheist or life as an agnostic or life without, without living or living with God or thinking that God's a player in your life, that's life under the sun, a naturalistic, philosophical kind of a life. It's just us. It's just our thing. And then he has this other word that crops up dozens of times, and it's the word that, that is is—it's a Hebrew word, hevel, and it's translated as uh, vanity, or meaninglessness, or futile, hevel. And basically, that just means, hey, it's, it's meaningless. It's purposeless. It doesn't matter. It, it, and it's like a vapor. It's like a cloud. It's like a mist. It's, it doesn't mean it, there's no substance. I remember, do you remember as a kid, before you understood all about clouds, you just see these big fluffy things in the sky, and you think, wow, how cool would it be to be in a cloud. I mean, all fluffy, pillowy whiteness. You know, that'd be pretty cool. I remember as a kid being high up in the mountains and watching a cloud come, and although I wouldn't have known this word at the time, elevation, but I'm at the same elevation as the cloud. The cloud's coming in. I realized as a kid, this cloud is coming. So I'm just gonna sit tight, and soon I will be covered in pillowy white softness. I mean, this is gonna be great, And so I'm waiting and waiting. Of course, what happens? You know, just kind of a gray, depressing, damp. David, he di- actually died just a few months ago. And David Cassidy, who, he was a struggling actor-musician, who was actually the son of an actor-musician, and uh, and then he was cast in a role in a TV show called the... Uh, you guys are betraying your age. Okay, yeah, the Partridge fan. He became Keith Partridge, and he became like a... a a bubblegum icon. I mean, he was like you know a teeny bopper's dream, a heartthrob, or what, whatever they call that these days. You know, he was a teen heartthrob, and all of a sudden, he had everything that he, that he wanted in, in a lot of ways, although there's some drawbacks to that. He realized he had all the fame he wanted. He was on the cover of every teeny bopper magazine in existence. He was, he was selling out concerts all over the United States and internationally. He might have even been more famous internationally. And then as he, but his whole life, he had had a bad relationship with his dad. And his dad was also an actor, songwriter, even though in the Partridge family, he actually, another lady, Shirley Jones, started that was actually his stepmom, married to his dad. But he lived this life. And as he became more famous, his dad became less famous. His career path was kind of tanking. And, his, and they never had had a good relationship, and, and David had always wanted more from his dad, but his dad then even pulled away more when David's stars started to rise. It was like he was kind of jealous of his son's success, never told his son he was proud of him or anything. And then when David Cassidy seemed to have reached the peak of his career, he just started kind of, he didn't like it, and mainly for, for two reasons personally he realized that even though he had all this success he still had this uh, deep longing for a relationship with his father that never really happened and then so that's personally and then even vocationally even career wise he he really wanted to be taken more seriously as a singer songwriter and not just a teenage heartthrob so he's kind of disappointed in all that and so he left that and then because of those disappointments, I mean, he hit the top. As a struggling singer-songwriter, he could have imagined how famous he became. And then he started turning away from it. He got into alcohol. And then he still did some concerts. And he started forgetting words of well-known songs that had been singing all his life. And then he started—he actually told some people that it was because he was uh, having mental problems. But actually, it was just his drinking that he he finally lived up, you know, fessed up to because he was just trying to hide that and that destroyed his life and then at the end of his life, the last thing, his last words to his daughter is he said this, so much time wasted. That's what Solomon's talking about, Hevel. So much time wasted. He achieved all these things and then, and, and some of that was a lot of work. For example, when he got on this TV show, they were just kind of dubbing in all the music, and he said, no, I'm good enough to do this, and they find, he talked him into it, and he was good enough, and, and he achieved all these things, but it just it came to nothing. It did not bring the satisfaction that he wanted. Well, that's what, that's what Solomon's telling us. He's saying many leave for, live for achievement, and here's how he says it in Ecclesiastes 2, beginning of verse 4. Solomon, talking to himself, says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I brought male and female I, I bought male and female slaves. I had homeborn slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers, and Tim talked a little bit about that last week, provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities, which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity. Saying, all was hevel and striving after wind. And there was no prophet under the sun. And so he's talking about all he did, his work and achievement. And we're talking about this on Father's Day. And of course, as as dads, we want to work and achieve and provide for our kids. And, And we usually give that pep talk to our kids to work and achieve. But there's a danger here that Solomon is telling us it cannot just be about that. It will not work. And Solomon knows. He was the richest man in the world. He was the wisest man in the world. He he built wealth. He built all kinds of works around him. Other kings and leaders of countries, queens, came to visit him, to talk to him, and find out wisdom, to learn wisdom from Solomon. He was world renowned in his wisdom, world renowned. In his wealth, if anybody had, di- had done it all, he had done it all. And he's the one telling us hey, don't fall into this. He's telling us living for achievement, living for or work to achieve, it does not fulfill, it will not bring happiness. Now, skipping down a few verses, here's what he says, continuing in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. He says, So I hated life, for the work which I had done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me, And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor, in his striving with which he labors under the sun?' because all his days, his task is painful and grievous, and even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying work just brings uh, pain and grief and worry. He's saying work, even when it goes well, it brings pain because Work is effort. It's energy expended. And we work, 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 and that will tend to wear us out. It's pain. We have to give in order to work. And that's when things are going well. And then he's telling us, by the way, when things don't go well, work brings grief. And in a sense, it always brings grief. Grief, because to do work well, there is a constant evaluation process. If we work for somebody, we're constantly being evaluated. If we have people who work for us, we're constantly evaluating what's happening, and we're always coming up with ways that we can do better. So work brings grief, it brings pain, and then he says it brings worry. How many of you have ever been up in the middle of the night, awake, maybe you're not out of bed, but you're just laying there awake, and you're thinking about work? You know how that goes? Here's how it goes for me. You know, I'll wake up like at two or three in the morning, and then I start thinking about something that needs to be done. And I think because I start thinking about something that needs to be done, I think my heart starts beating a little faster. Then because my heart starts beating a little faster, I get really hot, and I throw the covers off, because I'm like, I start getting... You know, hot. Then I need a drink of water. Then I need to get up and cool off. Then I turn a fan or something. You know, and, and, what do you, and then you're thinking, I got to get some sleep because I have to go to work. And then the more you're thinking that, I got to get to sleep, the more then you're thinking about work. And then the more you, any, this happened to anybody but me. That's what he's saying. And then you're worried about the next day is it going to go good? And then what's it going to bring? Pain? Or is it going to go bad? Or then it's going to bring me grief? Or is it going to bring both pain and grief? Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) You know, this is good stuff from Solomon. That's what he's saying. That's work. That's work without God. It's meaningless. That's what he's saying. It It doesn't bring happiness. Why? Well, it's unfulfilling. He's saying it's fleeting. Ultimately, it never delivers on that satisfaction or that happiness. Even when we attain the higher levels or or what we're thinking that we need to attain. And a classic example of this is quarterback Tom Brady. Maybe the best quarterback that ever played the game, playing for the worst team that ever played the game. Tom Brady, he's 40 years old. He has five Super Bowl rings. Five times he won the Super Bowl. Ten years ago when he is 30, he had just, at 30 years old, had won three Super Bowls. And here is an interview of right after winning three Super Bowls at 30 years old. Here's how it goes.
1: Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. (laughs) That's what you always wanted. (laughs) You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. (laughs) But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I thank God, it's got to be more than this. What's the answer?
0: I wish I knew.
1: I wish I knew.
0: Do you hear what he's saying there? Three Super Bowls. He's a quarterback. He lives for football. And he's saying, it has got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. I wish I knew what it was. This is what Solomon's talking about, life of his son. I, I got to tell you, there's another uh, famous player. And again, I'm on football because it's been a long time. You know, we've been on a dry spell here. But uh, there's another famous football player Dwayne Thomas, he was asked one time, he's playing in a Super Bowl game and then a reporter's really pumping up Super Bowl. This is the ultimate game. You're in the Super Bowl, the ultimate game. And he says to the reporter, if it's the ultimate game, how why are they playing another one next year? You know, He gets it. Both these guys, they're going, it's Hevel. It, you, you make it and then all of a sudden, why? It doesn't deliver what I thought it would deliver. It's fleeting It's unfulfilling, it will not last, and they're actually right about that. Here's what what he says, Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 5, 15, he says, As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He's just talking about human life. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what's the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Solomon's reminding us, life is short, and we can't take it with us. So what's the whole point? And again, he's saying this, this is how the perspective of life, if life is without God. I remember in uh, when I went to my first year of Bible school, I'd graduated from Colorado State and just committed, went to a little school in Missouri called Baptist Bible College, I just went there one year. And while I was there, w- when you're training for ministry back in those days, the big thing is you're trying to build a library. I mean, you're trying to buy reference books and you wanna study and, and there's this classic reference book called uh, Strong's Concordance or Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. How many have heard that? So, uh, so I wanted a Strong's, man. I wanted one bad. It's a, I, I should grab one. That's what I said last service. But, you know, it's about this big and this thick, and it sits on the bottom shelf in my office. But it's there, and man, I want... this. In this book, it took this guy, James Strong. He spent like 20 to 30 years of his life referencing every single word in the King James Bible. So every word, where it appears, it's all in Strong's. And then he attached a number to it, and he also had... Uh, over 8,000 Hebrew words, over 5,000 Greek words. I mean, it's all in this strong, exhaustive concordance. I mean, it was all there. And then I wanted one of these, and I found one for 20 bucks. I remember I was so excited because this, it was a valuable referencing. I knew I'd have the rest of my life, and I got one 20 bucks. I mean, I was pumped. Do you realize now, after this guy spent 20, 30 years of his life putting this together, a middle school student can do the same thing on a computer in about 20 seconds. That was his life's work. Who could have guessed back then that now, I mean, I have a Strong's, it's still there, it's got my mark in it because I don't want to lose it. But I haven't opened that thing in over a decade. It's, you know, dusty. Life is fleeting. We don't know what's coming after us. This is what Solomon's helping us. He's saying, hey, you will not find happiness in working for achievement. It's fleeting. It's unfulfilling. And then the next thing he says, it'll also lead to imbalance in our life. And here's how he says that. That's, back, that's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 4. He says, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between man and his neighbor. And he's basically saying a whole bunch of work is is basically competitive in nature. This too is vanity and striving after win. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One handful of rest is better than two fistfuls of labor and striving after win. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun and there was a certain man without a dependent having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and whom for I am laboring and depriving myself of pleasure. This too is vanity, and it's a grievous task. What's he saying? Solomon's telling us, he's saying, work, 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 like that's all there is, that will lead to imbalance in your life. It'll lead to overwork. And by the way, when you overwork, that will destroy your relationships. But there's another thing with work, you can also underwork, and underwork will tend to destroy your relationships too. And basically what what Solomon's saying is say, don't have two-fifths of labor, and don't have, like the fool, no-fifths of labor, Rather, have one fist of labor and one fist of rest. One hand of labor, one hand of rest. What Solomon's saying is we got to have balance in our life. And if we think that work, working for achievement, is going to bring us happiness, that will imbalance our life. Of course, the other flip side is we do pleasure, like Tim was talking about last time, and we do no work, and that will unbalance our life. And they'll both destroy relationships that are important. So Solomon's telling us balanced life. Well, what about it? If work and wealth and achievement, or if working for achievement, if that's not going to bring happiness and purpose and meaning, then how do we get that? How do we get a life of meaning and happiness? Now, here's the thing working to achieve is good it's a good thing but it cannot be the ultimate thing or we will always be disappointed it, there's always we'll always feel like there's got to be more than this and we're going to find out why in just a moment in this text but here's, here's what i want to say how to do this well, three ways How to to find meaning and happiness? First is we find happiness in the present and not the future. Look for happiness in the present, not the future. See, a lot of work and achievement is based on, I can be happy when I achieve, fill in the blank. So I'm gonna work, 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 and some of that's good, delayed gratification and all that. that, those are good principles. But if you think this will bring happiness to me, when I work, work, work to achieve this, and when I hit this level, then I'll be happy, then I'll be good, that doesn't work. Find happiness in the present, not the future. Here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes two twenty-four and 25. He says, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat... And who can have enjoyment without him? He's saying, hey, and this applies to our culture. If you think working for achievement will bring you happiness in the future, you're going to be disappointed. And, and so what people do a lot of times is they're not happy now, but they think they'll be happy or tragically, some people will look back in the past and they'll mourn their past at some place where they thought they were happy then and they never think they're going to be happy again. That's kind of the flip side of the coin. Oh, I lost that relationship. I could never be happy again. My happiness is in the past, never in the future. Or it's always in the future. More common, when I achieve, then I'll be happy. What Solomon is telling us is if you are not happy right now, A change of your circumstance will not bring you happiness. If you are not happy now, you achieving something will not bring you happiness. And a lot of times, it's fool's gold in this that we achieve some level, but before we even get there, we start seeing other levels higher than that, and there's no place to stop. It's like, well, yeah, I've achieved this level, but I would really be happy if I got that level and then that level, and we just keep climbing the ladder thinking that we're gonna get this elusive happiness and fulfillment and purpose, and it never delivers is what Solomon is telling us. He's saying happiness is a gift from God. You want to be happy? First of all, be happy in the present, not the future. Secondly, embrace and enjoy the seasons of life. This is a, I'm going to read a famous portion of Scripture that you've all probably heard some of this before. It's in a, it's Ecclesiastes 3, beginning in 1, chapter 1. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted. Everybody, you've heard this before, right? Just nod. Yeah. And then down in verse, so it continues that way, down in verse 9, it says, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? For I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. This key. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So Tom Brady is saying there's got to be more than this. Why? Because God has set eternity in our heart. So that's why if you're approaching life from an atheistic point of view or even an agnostic point of view because you're not that gutsy or you think you're a Christian but you just live a life that's really devoid of, of interacting with God daily, you're missing it. You're missing your seasons of life. He's telling us, hey, don't always be thinking, no, something's going to be better. Boy, when, when I'm 21, boy, everything will be solved then. You know? Then I'll be rolling. You know, man, when, when I become a mid-level manager, then you know, I'll, when I attain that, I'll have it made. Wow, when I, when I become the CEO of this company, you know, it's always something he's saying. No, live in the present. Embrace and enjoy seasons in life now. There's a time for everything. And this is totally contrary to everything our culture tells us as women and men. Because our culture's telling us embrace youth. Hang on to youth. You know, grab a hold of youth and don't let it go and, and scrap and kick and fight to get it back. We resist aging. We mourn our youth. We wish we could go back and do life as a young person with what we know as an old guy. Anybody ever thought about that? Yeah, you know, I wish I could go do that again. With what I know now. Invest in, you know, whatever. It's just all this stuff. That's what he's telling us. But think about this. In heaven, we'll have more than all the wisdom that we accomplished And accumulated in all of our old age because we'll be in the presence of God. We'll have more wisdom than anything we attained on earth. And at the same time, we will have the youth and energy to enjoy it. That's what's coming in heaven. What we can never attain in this life, God is offering us in heaven through a relationship with Him. So don't keep hanging on to youth, let those chapters go. I want a Harley motorcycle. Pam does not want me to have a Harley motorcycle. <laughs> you know, we we all we, we want these things. Let the past chapters go. I'm not saying that you can't have a Harley. I'm just saying, you know, let you gotta let some things go. Focus on what's coming. And for every season of your life, what's important? Life with God. 20-somethings. You know, it's, it's, there's a time for everything. This is time for you to put down the video game and get a real job, move out of the parents' basement and be self-supporting. You know, it's time. That's your season in life. Parents, you want some parenting advice? When you're raising your kids, enjoy them in the season that they're in. Each child. What, we, what sometimes we can do as parents is think, Wow, when they're a little older, I'm going to like that a lot more. You know, when they're a little older, can actually tell me, they could talk back and tell me what's wrong with them. And you're going to regret that, by the way. But you're thinking, if they're just a little older and they could talk, you know, this is going to be way better. Or, oh, I I miss so much, you know, when they were just so snuggly and little. And, And we keep looking at these different, no, enjoy the time that they're in. Enjoy the season that you're in. That's what Solomon said. There's a time for everything. Enjoy the time that you're in. Enjoy each season of life. Without looking to the future, clinging to the past, but the main thing that Solomon keeps hammering to us, and this whole book dives into this conclusion. We're we'll talking about more about this later. Is it's seek the God that's above the Hevel. Seek God who makes life meaningful. Because if you're living a life as an atheist or agnostic or as a self-described Christian, but really, let's face it, God is not a part of your life and you throw up a prayer once in a while maybe, but you're doing your own thing. You will not find happiness. We have to seek the God that makes sense out of everything. He gives us meaning, He gives us purpose, he gives us satisfaction and joy and work and achievement are gifts from God. It's not wrong to work and achieve just in the right perspective, just in the right priority. Work and achieve, achievement are gifts from God that we only experience joy in when we're actually following God with our life. And then our satisfaction is not actually in the work and achievement. It's in the God that we have a relationship that allows us to accomplish these things. And that changes everything. And we have meaning and purpose along the way. Why? Because God created us. And He created us with the capacity to have a daily, ongoing relationship with Him. But we've all messed that up by sinning, which rebelled against Him. But God still loves us, still wants relationship. And so He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Jesus voluntarily gives up His life to pay for our sins, because wrong has to be paid for in a just system, and God ultimately is just. And so he pays for our sins on the cross and then we get that accredited to us through faith, which just means that we believe who Jesus is, that he is actually the son of God and we trust in what he did, dying on the cross for our sins, that's faith in Jesus. But if we're doing that, here's the acid test, if we're doing that sincerely, because there are people sitting here thinking, yeah, I've done that, but your life does not reflect that at all. If you've done that sincerely, God will change your life because you will be so grateful for what God has done for you and the fact that you can't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. You will be drawn to follow the God who died for you. And it'll change your life top to bottom. And that's how you know if you're truly a believer or not. Has your life reflected it, shown it? You're not working toward your salvation, salvation's a gift. But you're living in the light of knowing what God has done for you and the joy that that brings and the purpose and meaning of life that he provides. It's all there. You live in the light of all that. It changes everything. That's what it means to be a believer, and that's what I want for all of us. Let's stand together for prayer. Father God, in heaven, we, we see this in our, in our world all around us, that people, they work, strive, achieve, and then they get to the end of all that. It's like they throw up their own, and this is all there is. It's like they're saying, what the hell? Is this all there is? Because they're doing life without you. God, first of all, we thank you for loving us and sacrificing for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And Father, for those of us who are Christians, I pray that your spirit would empower us to live lives that reflect that we're living in your light for your purposes. We have meaning and joy in that. And let us never forget it. And Let us not get distracted by circumstances that crop up every day in our life. Keep us focused on you. And God, for those of us here who are not believers, who are just like we were, Lord, I pray your Spirit would penetrate their heart. That they would realize that you're the only one that can make sense out of life. And that you would draw them to yourself and you'd help them to, to see that and want a relationship with you. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next week here at Grace.